1: Good afternoon, you are listening to Health & Living. I'm Lee Chui Lin. Um It is Friday, a relatively sunny one. And so, of course, I'm joined by our doctor in the house, Dr. George Lee.
2: Hello, Lynn. Hello, welcome right. to the show. Thank you. Well, um, I've been hiatus for a while, so yes, you I'm have. back. It's right? nice and to see a, your face. A hyper, hyper George, Dr. George is back <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> and
1: we're joined uh, by Fifa Rahman, policy consultant at the Malaysian AIDS Council. Fifa, welcome to the show. Thank you.
2: Shivering. Nice to be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. No, George, just terrible. No, we're
1: going to play nice. Everyone will play play nice.
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we're talking about a vaccine for HIV um, AIDS because it's in conjunction with World AIDS Vaccine Day, which fell on May 18th. Um, And more than three decades after it's been clinically observed, there's still no cure for AIDS. So we want to talk about all these ideas behind a vaccine, you know, who will benefit, who will get access to it. Uh, Dr. George, I think, has a specific slant he'd like to go on, which we'll introduce (laughs) in a bit. Uh, But before that... Perhaps let's start with this you know why is the, why is a vaccine so important? why do we need it
3: well um, there there are lots of problems with the treatment as prevention paradigm, so the treatment as prevention paradigm says that uh, antiretroviral um, medicines are the way to go for prevention. And, you know, as time has passed and, you know, decades have gone by and, and people have started to realize that there are problems with this paradigm. People, uh, certain, um, certain key affected populations are not taking up um, the services as much and, and it's not not really being effective in prevention.
2: Well, I mean, the thing is that it, it might be because it's expensive, and the other thing is it might be because it creates a lot of um, side effects. Is, is, is that why? I mean, because what Lynn was saying is that it's been three decades, yeah. and then actually, I'm a bit surprised that there there was even a day called the National, um, you know, um, World World. It it's a, yeah. well, it was World HIV Vaccine Awareness Day because you know all this time, um, uh, it's been perceived that this is a very unsuccessful. Um, venture, the vaccine. And then now we actually have, a, um, you know, at a day like this, a World um, Awareness Day. I, when I dug back, I actually it was um, 2000 and, uh, 1997. Since then, you know, Bill Clinton actually say that only a truly effective preventive HIV vaccine can limit the eventual elimination of HIV AIDS. So from that day onwards, there has been this quest to find this holy grail to prevent everyone from getting it. So, I mean, a lot has changed in the last three decades. It's right, th- uh, 1997 until, you know, 2016. And then so what, what actually has changed in these three decades?
3: Well, I think that people are starting to realize that particularly in regard to uh, men who have sex with men, um, there needs to be additional prevention um, in addition to condoms. So, I mean, they've been exploring the idea of pre-exposure prophylaxis, which we call PrEP. Um, but, you know, there are weaknesses to all of this and PrEP is great. But, um, you know, everybody should be pressing for a vaccine. And unfortunately, the the uh, market-driven uh, pharmaceutical system doesn't really um, help. Um, Can you elaborate yeah. a little
2: bit about PrEP? What exactly is it and how successful or how pr- uh, protective is PrEP?
3: Um, well, um, there have been several clinical trials on PrEP. And uh, so PrEP is... Um, Uh, a kind of medication um, which is antiretrovirals basically that's given uh, to a HIV negative person and the HIV negative person uh, is um, for some reasons having um, uh, difficulty yeah having risky uh, risky uh, behavior and difficulty um, adhering to condom use so uh, PrEP prevents uh, HIV transmission um, by 95% or more
2: Oh, right. Okay, basically, yeah. if someone is compliant, taking this medication, you're protected up to 95%.
3: Yeah. Although you
1: did make reference to market demands and um, how it's driven in many ways by that, yeah. um, is there sufficient incentive for governments and for drug makers to prioritize a vaccine? Because obviously, they could be making lots and lots of money from um, you know, keeping people who are living with a chronic illness on drugs All their lives, right? I mean, because that's essentially it. You give people um, a monthly supply year after year after year. And that's a much better business model, certainly, than providing a one-off drug that's going to protect people.
3: Absolutely, there's just so little incentive at this point, and, and what we know from statistics is, is that seventy percent of all investment in HIV prevention is provided by the U.S. public sector. So there is not enough investment. The pharmaceutical companies are just um, not really investing in HIV prevention. And you know, we live in a time where the buyer CEO he said, "We make medicines for Western patients, not for poor Indians." Do you agree with that? So, oh, absolutely not. That's crazy. But yeah, um, you know, we live in a time where that happens. And that's sort of why we all sort of need to band together and, um, you know, support the WHO and other agencies in in pushing for an R&D convention. Because right now, uh, with public investment in HIV vaccines, you know, it's going to be a long, slow, drawn out process that is contravening the right to health of, uh, you know, so many patients in developing countries.
1: That idea of, um, I guess, that idea of an R and D convention. What, what would that? What would that actually entail? I mean, how would that help?
3: Yeah, um, it's actually in discussion right now. And hopefully uh, I'll be in Geneva next week for the World Health Assembly. And we'll be talking, you know, hopefully talking about um, things like the R&D convention, because what, what we want is to change the norms. So right now, the profit-driven um, pharmaceutical research industry, it's just, it's just not working. You know, they're, they're, um, they're researching things that will make a profit. And right now with the HIV vaccine, what they're expecting is, um, okay, government should find it, and after that, pharmaceutical industry will take over, which is
2: I mean, I mean you know, one would think that a, um, a pharmaceutical company would think this is the holy grail, right? If you find this, you're going to make a lot, a lot of money from it. Is, is that not the case? Because I I always imagine, I mean, I, I run through quite a few searches on the newsfeed that comes in, and the company is called Geovax. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, they were the pioneer, apparently came up with a, a series of vaccines called R144 uh, that was used in um, Thailand uh, in nineteen. 90- in 2009. Apparently 31% success rate in protection, and then therefore it's perceived as uh, or considered as not protective enough. And this company has rolled out and yesterday started a series of 5,000 patients in South Africa for that. I would think that this is completely driven by money.
3: Well, um, the statistics don't show that really, because pharmaceutical industry is only spending 3%. Um, out of all the um, investment in in uh, hiv prevention research so it 's that maybe you know one uh, off yeah one off one <laughs> right. off situation yeah. I think
1: it's very interesting having you both here because when we were discussing this show to begin with, you know, Dr. George had some rather interesting questions about the need.
2: That's right. Because, you know, I I imagine that you're going to Geneva next week and then, you know, you're the kind of movers and shakers in HIV world. And then together with (laughs) Professor Adiba and you all sit down together. R&D convention in Geneva, I guess what you guys are deciding is that we have a lot of donation, we have a lot of money going into research for HIV-AIDS and then what are you going to spend the money on? Are we going to spend the money on managing the disease or uh, the condition? I I won't call it the disease, the condition, because if you treat this as a chronic condition, we manage it with medication and a lot of people are surviving with a normal life expectancy, a normal life. Or are we just Uh, pouring in money into the research work for prevention. So essentially, that boils down to dollars and cents because how much of that money goes into prevention or not. So Lynn and I had this discussion and then I said, perhaps after 30 years of quest for that vaccine, Perhaps it truly, it's not going to materialize. Maybe that's why the drug company is spending 3%. And therefore, is there still a need to quest for that? Why don't we divert the resources to prevent, um, not prevention like pre-EP and then awareness and so that more and more people are actually taking medication if they are exposed so i think we're going to open the discussion to the listeners to see that is there ever going to find a a vaccine and is there a need for the vaccine lynn what's your view on that
1: I think we need a vaccine. We need a vaccine.
2: We need, <laughs> <laughs> we need a vaccine. Do you think the world will be a very different place when there is a vaccine? I said when or if there is a vaccine. Do you think, um, because at the moment, there's a lot of barriers, a lot of resistance, perhaps in promiscuity. I'm just just kind of like, um, you know, putting this as a devil's advocate to discuss that. And then because there is that fear of Contracting a disease, do you think whenever there is a vaccine and um, is that fear going to be diminished? I think that's a very interesting question to answer.
1: Yes, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'm sure FIFA has a lot of thoughts as well. That's right. And um, it,
2: the whole idea is to, to raise discussion, right? Yes, uh,
1: but if you if you'd like to weigh in, you know, do you think that we still need a vaccine for AIDS? Um, and how would you like to see your money being spent in terms of research? I mean, where would you like to see it going in terms of medication? Give us a call. That number is zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can also text us at zero one six two zero one nine thousand or tweet at BFM Radio. Good afternoon. You are listening to the bigger picture and it's Lee Chui Lin with our doctor in the house, Dr. George Lee, consulting neurologist, as well as FIFA Rahman, policy consultant at the Malaysian AIDS Council. Um, Dr. George is here because it's Friday, but FIFA is here because <laughs> we're talking about World AIDS Vaccine Day, which passed on May 18th. And we're asking the question today, is there still a need for a vaccine 30 years on since it was clinically observed? Do we still need it, or should we, as Dr. George suggests, be putting it more into management? Uh, if you'd like to weigh in, give us a call. That number is zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can also text zero one six two zero one nine thousand or tweet us at BFM Radio. Now let's move into a space where we assume that the vaccine exists. Um, who would it be covering? Would we ever really be able to protect everybody? everybody? Because the point of a vaccine is herd. You know, it's herd immunity. If you don't get everyone, then you're not really vaccinating much at all.
3: Absolutely. I think um, ideally, of course, you know, and you think of me as an access to medicines advocate. The ideal situation you would want to say that it should be available for everybody. But we know, and especially after six, five, five, six years working in HIV access to medicines, you realise that resources are very scarce, Mm. and policymakers won't necessarily um, want to make that leap, Um, even though they've made a, a lot of leaps, you know, in terms of ARVs with prevention. Um, I would say realistically, even though it's not ideal, that resources would have to be allocated to the most at-risk populations. Um, and that what I mean by that is men who have sex with men, uh, people who, has, who sell sex, um, people who use drugs, and transgender people. So that's what you would um, probably want to focus on. But th-
2: presumably that will be minority of the popul- general populations.
3: I mean, we're talking
2: about um, perhaps less than 5% of the general population.
3: Oh, I don't know the statistics, but, you know, we are facing a real epidemic among men who have sex with men. For example, the prevalence among uh, men who have sex with men for HIV is 22% in KL. So that's one out of five MSM. Mm. So... um, you know, so, that's, that's yeah.
2: pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is um, for a specific group of people, but the thing is that I would imagine that you're thinking it, for everybody. No, it, well, yeah. uh, if it's available everyone will want to have it, right? I mean, even you have to pay for it, everyone will uh, want to have it. But sometimes we project that to be the scenario. But in reality, it may not be. Like, for example, the um, HPV vaccine, for example, you would think that a vaccine like that, that will create a lot of, uh, will protect a woman from getting cervical cancer. But you would imagine that everybody will be flogging to, to have it done. But the thing is that there's always that taboo, there's always that association with sexual uh, behaviour. And then that actually creates a lot of barriers um, that people don't do it. Do, do you find? Do you think that might be the case if one day the HIV vaccine is available? Because five, ten years ago, I would think everybody would be flogging to have a, a vaccine for that, if there's a 95 to 99% protection.
3: Yeah, perhaps. And, and we'll probably need more data on that. But You know, I I would think that it would be uh, ridiculous to sort of, um, you know, not deal with that sort of problem because there's already a lot of stigma among the key affected populations on Mm. accessing prevention methods. Because, for example, in an upcoming study by Howie Lim from UM, he says that um, uh, men who have sex with men in this country, they're just, um, you know, they stigmatize among each other for, for people who want to access PrEP. So they go like, why do you want to access PrEP? are you very promiscuous? So I bet that and Howie Lim's study is going to be amazing when it comes out. But, um, you know, it's going to be more or less, I think it would be the same argument. Like, why do you want to access the vaccine? Are you promiscuous? (laughs) That's right. Um, (laughs) So uh, stigma like that as well, and then compounded with that kind of stigma, you know, that would be really problematic for people like me to deal with.
1: I'd be curious to hear from people, you know, would... Stigma, or, you know, with the idea that it's somehow related to promiscuity, prevent you from getting a vaccine that could help you. Uh, give us a call. That number is 0377109000. You can also text 0162019000 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Dr. George. Yes. If a vaccine were available for HIV, yes, uh, right even right. though you don't fall within sort of the key categories of. Would I um, have it? Yes. Would yeah. you? Yeah. If I you had st- to pay.
2: You'd well, have it to pay, yes. Actually, um, funnily enough, I actually went for the HPV vaccine uh, myself. You know, because even though um, um, I you, haven't, yo, know, you haven't. So no. you know, see, see, this is this is an interesting part, right? Because when I. Uh, provide those vaccines for my children, you know, um, who uh, had no prior exposure to any sexual contact because the lyse, uh, the drug is licensed for uh, boy, both boys and girls age uh, nine to thirteen in Malaysia. All the girls in the government school will have exposure to or will have provision of the um, HPV vaccine. I decided that my daughter will have it, and I also at the same time my son would have it. After having it, I also felt that I would I should have it because I felt that this is a vaccine vaccine that is protective against um, genital warts and three cancers. And then that includes oral cancer, um, anal cancer and penile cancer. And that itself is enough for me to take it. And that's the reason why I make that active decision to do it. So if um, the vaccine is available, I will probably be the first one who say that anything that protects me from getting it, I will do it. So I will go for the HIV vaccine if it's available for me. But would you? Would
1: I go for the HIV vaccine? Um, You know, from a... From a purely intellectual point of view, yes. But if you ask me how proactive I am in my own healthcare, which I think is (laughs) is a rather hypocritical position to take. But, you know, I I don't know. I might just get lazy, to be honest. So
2: the only reason is uh, for technicality. You don't want it. But it's not for any reason against that sort of thing.
1: No, I I don't think it would be because, oh, you know, I don't want people to assume things about me. It wouldn't be that. It would just be purely, well, how many hours of my day do I need to (laughs) set out?
2: You know, that kind of thing. I mean, that sort of thing can be easily overcome because a lot of vaccines they taking to workplace, to schools and that sort of thing. But many people may have reservations. Like, for example, I mean, I did the show uh, for HPV vaccine with Mira. Mira has got two daughters and she had some degree of doubt, reservation and that sort of thing partly because of vaccine as a whole and partly because of how this vaccine is affecting, what condition this vaccine is affecting. And I really think FIFA was hiding, uh, you know, highlighting something quite interesting. It's just like, you know, you know in, in the States when HPV vaccine was available, there's many parents had reservation to say, Does, is that a license for my kids to start having sexual activities? And, and I think that's, a, that's crazy. That's one of the yeah. craziest kind of like thoughts that you would link the vaccine to.
3: Absolutely. And there's no evidence on it. And if, if you were to draw a correlation with other HIV prevention, like PrEP, you know there's the risk con- compensation studies show that um, people do not actually engage in increased risky sexual behavior, even if they are on PrEP. So um, so they're protected, more or less, major you know ninety five up to ninety five percent protected, but they've found that in multiple trials. They did not um, act um, increasingly risky. However,
1: if, you know, just because that risk, they didn't act increasingly risky, did it decrease? Because I think that's the other element, right? You know, this is what I was getting at. It's like, (laughs) you know,
2: so if you get that, um, you know, false sense of, um, you know, uh, security, and then you actually let your guards down, and then we're facing other. Um, epidemic of problems yeah. of um, other uh, diseases. Do do you think that might be a problem? See, I'm kind of built a case here to say that perhaps the the channel of resources should actually face on uh, to to for. Pre, um, not prevention, but management. But then it's the a
1: never-ending fight, isn't it? I mean, it's been yeah. thirty years of resources being allocated there, and we're still just you know at the stage. I mean, yes, it's life-saving now. The the treatment is life-saving or life-prolonging as opposed yeah. to before. But okay, we'll we'll get to that. LTY has um, an opinion that he'd like to share. Good afternoon, LTY.
0: Afternoon, yes, LTY. So good afternoon, LTY. Good afternoon, Dr. George, and good afternoon, Counselor. All right. R- Yeah, yeah. You're talking whether vaccine is is good or not. Actually, personally, I'm against a vaccine. I tell you my reason. First thing, it encourages men to go for unnecessary sexual uh, activity, all right? Hmm. Secondly, it may lead to family breakdown, you know? Family (laughs) breakdown, you know? Separate the family and... Who suffer at the end, the children? So these are the two command, all right? Why do like, you think a
1: vaccine would lead to a family breakdown, LTY? Why?
0: Because you know, if men started to go on, you know, on, on sexual venture, uh, not bothering the wife, definitely the wife will complain. Okay? Then it lead to quarrel, then lead to misunderstanding. This will eventually, and uh, who suffer the children, right or not? Am I right? Hello? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm,
1: I'm,
2: we're, we're, we're digesting that. We're digesting that. Okay. Well, this is what exactly what I I was saying that to some degree, I mean, when we, we were discussing whether this will be a good show or not, we actually, um, you know, um, it, it's almost, okay. initially, almost inan- unanimously yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone uh, felt uh, that but, it's but important. Yeah.
0: Right. But, but just, let, let me give an example myself, all right? Now I'm not sexually active, but because of the that I, I, won't, you know, I be cured. I, I, will go go for sexual activity, which eventually lead to quarter with my wife.
2: All right, so basically, the
0: impact y- will be on my children. Why, why, why the, the, the father behaves in such a way, mm. and the grandchildren will have, have some sort of impact, Ryan. Right? Okay, thank you, yes. I'm Talking about the thank bigger you. picture. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Do, what do you think of that? I mean, that's that's quite an interesting opinion, FIFA.
3: Yeah, well, there are no studies, you know, yet in regard to the effect of a vaccine on, on, um, on increase in risky sexual behavior. But once again, you know, if you look at the studies on pre-exposure prophylaxis and whether that increases um, risky sexual behavior, we don't see an increase. There, I, don't, I haven't seen any studies on decrease yet um, mm-hmm. of risky sexual behavior. But um, it's probably arbitrary of me to draw a col- correlation between the two, but they're both prevention methods. And um, so far, PrEP has not increased risky sexual behavior. People just behave like they normally would. So.
1: Our phone lines are open. If you'd like to weigh in on whether an HIV vaccine would open the floodgates to, <laughs> to you know, crazy sexual shenanigans, uh, give us a call. That number is zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can also text zero one six two zero one nine thousand or tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, uh, okay, so to come back to this point about increase or decrease. Um, is HIV still thought of as a sexual disease? I think that's the other component Mm. of it. Because it used to be, you know, it used to be that Mm. it was, you know, you had that element of fear where you worried um, about sleeping around, for instance, partly because of that. But it's a
2: punishment, that sort yeah, of thing. Know. You know, it was perceived for a long time as that. And then it, 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 do you think it's been... it such. HIV was um, kind of discovered in the 80s, right? I mean, we're really talking about um, three to four decades down the line. Do you think it's still can perceive as sexual disease?
3: I think that we try to rebrand it every day, but we, you know, and I, I receive human rights complaints um, almost every week at the Malaysian AIDS Council. Really, and in, yeah, in, so give absolutely. some examples. For example, when someone wants to go, uh, uh, someone goes to the uh, um, public health clinic and goes, uh, "I would like an anal swab," mm-hmm. or "I would like a, a chlamydia test." And mm-hmm. uh, we have had complaints of doctors going. What do you mean you need, want one? Are you sleeping around? Right. Okay. So, so
2: sort of value judgment,
3: value judgments. And it's really um, it's something that we're tackling every day. But the Ministry of Health has actually been brilliant in sort of assisting us and helping uh, provide guidance to doctors who have, um, you know, done this kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of stigma that we need to um, we need to address. And I work on that every day. And, yeah. it's
2: a yeah. it, tireless um, kind of like um, effort, really, because on one hand um, you're dealing with uh, you know, quite a serious condition. On the other hand, it is the most serious part of it is perception and how people view it. It's Absolutely. both both sides of the fence, really. The healthcare provider and also the uh, the person who or the patient who needs it, and pe- people around the patients, right? The yeah. lay persons.
3: Absolutely.
1: We have um, a number of calls. We'll start off with Ahmed. Good afternoon, Ahmed.
2: Afternoon, Afman. Good,
4: Good afternoon, Dr. Josh. Um, well, to say in my opinion, it doesn't really decrease. Well, I think the, the increase in, uh, what you can say, out of uh, wedlock uh, sex, um, sexual behaviour, uh, the, the, the statistic increase because I suppose there's a change, there increase in population. Because when you said, uh, when, when I was, uh, listening that he was talking that AIDS was discovered in the 80s, uh, um, he doesn't really bring down the numbers of cases that, uh, people got HIV. So <laughs> whether the introduction of, uh, the vaccine will re- lead to a spike, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe so. <laughs> people, when, I mean, well, he would perceive that, uh, when AIDS, uh, was discovered, he would say that it was, a uh, uh, you know, a disease for uh, homosexuals. So and yeah, right now, to date, um, almost almost three decades later, um, you know, you have uh, increase in numbers of uh, men op- being openly
1: gay. So,
2: mm. so you, what you're saying is that actually. Um, um, the number of people has increased, and then you know, a lot of more people come forward, and that sort of thing is actually not related to the uh, enhanced promiscuity, uh, you know, uh, yeah, promiscuity. Well, well, I think really to, to be fair, what what LTY was suggesting was that if there was a yeah. vaccine available, it actually uh, opened a floodgate for uh, promiscuity rather than enhance a uh, number of unit, uh, of infection. Well, thanks very much for your call. Sure. Okay.
1: Thank you, Ahmad. And we have Vesha on the line. Good afternoon.
2: Afternoon, Vesha. Hi. Uh, hi.
5: Oh, you know my name. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, um, I think what you're going to see is not really uh, increasing in any way because it's not that no one uh, is sexually active or anything or that it's a very small group of people. I think everybody has a sex life. It's just that we don't talk about it. Sex is actually taboo. So, if anything, you're going to just help the population, you're especially going to help the younger people. Yes. Because at least they know what they're pursuing. They know that they're going to be protected one way or another, you know? So, it's not going to change anything, really, besides the fact that you're going to have lesser cases of the young people falling sick or people in general, really. Yeah.
2: I'm so glad you mentioned the young people because in the American statistics, they actually show that there is a. Twenty-six percent of all HIV new cases happen between thirteen to twenty-four years old, and then there's an increase in ten point five percent per year in this age group. And then I really, really appreciate that you you highlighted that whatever is going to do, you protect the young ones because the people who are you know maturing, sexually maturing in out of puberty, these are the group of people we need to protect. Exactly, very
5: true. And I think the fact that the government that ensures using HIV the school system that when I was from I think that was the first time they were implementing it, and we all had to get the jab, and they were very strict about it, because there were three separate injections that you have to get, and they were very clear that, you know, you had to make sure you get them on specific Mm dates because if you would get them later than the graph, and your terms of protection, it would not be as effective, and it was very, very adamant about you getting the jab, so it government already admitting that yes this is happening because you can't deny that you know teenagers are not having sex and that we are conservative and whatnot it would just be you know lying to yourself Mm. you know that you are you know it's just that we don't talk about it
2: i've got one final question for you do you think we're ever going to find this hiv vaccine
5: no because there's too much of i think problem is that we are very um we're very money-minded, and you cannot deny the fact that a vaccine would actually like decrease the amount of money that a lot of pharmaceutical companies are making from maintaining. Almost like the whole cancer theory, it kind of works the same way. But what I am, I do hope, I do really hope that we can find a vaccine if we are still the, the humanitarian people that we seem to portray ourselves, that we would. But... I would not say not, not perhaps not in my lifetime.
1: Um, perhaps when I am seventy. 70. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Visha.
5: Thank
1: you, FIFA. Are you optimistic? I, I mean, I feel like I need to ask you that question because I would hope that it would happen within our lifetimes. Yeah, I mean,
2: because you you go to um, like very prominent meetings, and then in these meetings, um, you know, you have preview to a lot of researchers. Do you think are we? Getting close to it. Do you think this is the this is the oracle? This is the holy grail that this group of people five thousand people uh, exposed to the vaccine in um, in South Africa is going to ch- uh, be the game changer.
3: I think a vaccine would be uh, the game changer. I don't know if that trial specifically would be the game changer. You know, I'm I'm I think it's my job to be op- optimistic. <laughs> um, but um, I'm glad
2: somebody. Is. I
3: think that. Um, the pharmaceutical industry is just not investing enough. And because, you know, government right now, the major investor is public funds. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. There's a little bit from DFID and um, a few others. But, you know, this this means that the, the research process is going extremely slowly as, as opposed to having some pharmaceutical industry involvement. Um, of course, pharmaceutical industry involvement would be a little scary because you know we might end up with uh, exorbitant prices. Yeah, it's um, like
2: ten thousand per jab of uh, you know, <laughs> on the, on the vaccine. Yeah.
3: Absolutely, I mean, the kind of prices that are that are put up nowadays for medicines are insane. So, you know, um, I'm hopefully uh, hoping that next week we'll sort of um, hear something about it. But I'm I'm perennially, um, you know, all the time. Um, trying to be optimistic. You're professionally optimistic. (laughs) Professionally (laughs) optimistic and hopefully we'll Um, see it in our lifetimes.
1: We have a question from Ben uh, who is asking, is the HIV vaccine 100% effective? So it doesn't exist as yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did want to ask whether, is that what we're aiming for? So when we say that we're going to release a vaccine for HIV after all these years of research, after all these years of expenditure, what level of efficacy do we need to expect before we can safely say, look, Everyone, let's go mm-hmm. for this. Okay.
2: I mean, that's interesting that Ben asked that question because R uh, 144 that was trial in Thailand. Thirty one percent clearly is way too low, right? That's okay. very little. It is very little, and you say like, actually that is. Um, You know, presumably it is cut off, right? You know, know, earlier on you had a current affairs recording from this morning to say that you know the government is looking into the protection rate to see what is effective. Philippines may may think that the um, the dengue uh, vaccine, let's say at eighty seven percent, is protective and is good enough to protect the uh, the country. But you know, in Malaysia we may not think so. So actually, I think that is quite a subjective question because individual policymakers like FIFA were were. Uh, you know, make a uh, really recommendation to government, and they will work out whether this is a viable expenditure to protect the, uh, the population. Would, so you, would you think so?
3: I would agree with you. Um, thanks for upgrading me to a level of policy Yeah, yeah. Well, because you, you like, yeah.
2: know, presumably they will uh, uh, you know value AIDS councils' um, you know opinion when it comes to this, because all the stakeholders will be recruited to help them to make that decision.
1: So, what percentage are we looking at then that you would think? Um, perhaps I'm putting you on the spot, but what percentage are we looking at where you would go? Okay, this one, this I think is good to roll out at least in some sort of limited capacity to high risk groups, for instance. I
3: think it would have to be above ninety percent because you know there are a lot of uh, ethical uh, issues involved in in you know HIV vaccines. You know, people people can seroconvert um, with the HIV vaccine. Um, there are all sorts of trials going on. There was a recent trial in 2015 exploring the use of PrEP uh, with within HIV vaccine uh, trials. So y- you don't want somebody to seroconvert and you don't want somebody to think okay this this is a possible cure or this is false security uh, yeah false security the false security element and you know you know with the HIV vaccine trials there are already um, a lot of ethics issues with the patients I mean they they might be having um, excessive sort of anxiety from having to go through repeated HIV testing you know there's all sorts of Ethics issues and um, yeah, because majority of, things, of time, yeah.
2: we, when we perceive a vaccine, we're almost near hundred percent protection, isn't it? That's
3: because what we imagine. Would you yeah.
2: imagine? That's right. But in reality, you know, there's no such thing as hundred percent, right? Well, I mean,
1: <laughs> certainly we shouldn't be looking at thirty. That's right. percent. Um, right. <laughs> right. okay. We're talking about the AIDS vaccine or the HIV vaccine today. Um, if you would like to weigh in, we're asking you: Do you agree with it? Do you think that we should continue pursuing it? Does it open up the floodgates to a whole host of ethical and uh, to a whole host of ethical issues is it opening up the door to um, you know complete sexual freedom give us a call that number is zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand you can also text zero one six two zero one nine thousand or tweet us at BFM radio we'll be back right after the market update you are listening to health and living on the bigger picture bfm 89 point9 Good afternoon. You are listening to Health and Living on The Bigger Picture. It is our doctor in the house, Dr. George Lee, consultant neurologist. Um, And we're joined today by Fifa Rahman, policy consultant at the Malaysian AIDS Council. Together, we're talking about, uh, well, the AIDS vaccine in conjunction with World AIDS Vaccine Day on May 18th. And we're asking everybody a lot of questions, Um, you know, pretty difficult questions about whether or not a vaccine would open up the world to sexual promiscuity, (laughs) whether there are huge ethical issues going behind it, uh, because it has, after all, been... As Dr. George has put it, the Holy Grail, the search, has been on for quite some time. If you would like to weigh in, give us a call. That number is zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can text zero one six two zero one nine thousand, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, we did have a text um, from someone who says, "I disagree with the introduction of the HIV vaccine because this will allow for privacy vaccine production, and you need to take risks to prove the efficiency." So, I think he's talking, he or she is talking about privatization.
2: Mm. Possibly or or you have to put through a group of people to to actually be on trial, you know, and that sort of thing. I, I assume because it, it is true that because today, um, you know, on the eighteenth of May, when you come to the World, um, you know, HIV Vaccine Awareness Day, actually we have to take into account tireless effort from volunteers who actually put themselves forward to be in the front line to find out whether this is a vaccine that works or not, and researchers health care providers, scientists, and then all these efforts to actually um, to to recognise all the effort that they're trying to do to change the, the landscape of treatment for HIV.
1: From a public health care perspective, because obviously that's where the vaccine will live, um, you know, FIFA, what do public health doctors kind of, has the attitude towards HIV and AIDS changed firstly, and secondly, is the public health sector clamouring for a vaccine? Is there actually a call for it?
3: Um, okay first to address uh what public health doctors i i think that people i think that doctors are growing increasingly less judgmental um i still do receive uh, um, uh dis- discrimination cases quite regularly mm-hmm. um in the healthcare sector um but certainly it's been a reduction i think um the Ministry of Health has actually been doing okay in terms of engaging the public sector doctors i won 't say the same thing for private sector doctors. I think that we have um, we have a few cases where It's just sort of, you know, they've not been sensitized quite clearly about HIV. Um, And the second question was about... um,
1: Whether or not there is a call from the public health sector for the vaccine.
3: No, to be honest, no. I mean, there hasn't been... You've given up? I have not given up. Um, But, um, yeah, I actually have not um, heard any discussion on um, the vaccine. I think people have put it on the back burner for now. Yeah, because uh, probably yeah. about a
2: decade ago, everyone yeah. was hoping for this might be something that will be the ultimate game changer. However, I, I mean, from the last caller, I sense some degree of pessimism. Right, okay. And then that's part of the reasons why I, when we were having the pre show discussion with Lynn, I kind of said, well, since we have so much pessimism, it's been about three decades, why don't we just kind of like put it aside from 3% of the uh, you know, research fund that goes into it, maybe just cut it down a bit more and then now sh- channel the money to, to um, where it matters per se that, you know, the PrEP um, uh, things, the PrEP um, treatment. Pre, um, is it prevention? It is actually yeah, prophylaxis is pre- yeah, that uh, is actually is yeah. protecting 90% of people, right? I mean, would would that not be the sensible thing? But on the other hand, I still think, you know, the last caller reminded me that we are looking at young group of men and women coming out of, um, you know, age 13 to 24, contracting this disease. If Even if we have a 90% protection rate, these kids need to be protected, right? Because on one hand, we were talking about this group of people, um, you know, who are high risk, and then, you know, men having sex with men, and then also partners who've got HIV. But we cannot forget that a large group of children need to be protected.
3: Absolutely, and, and um, you know, that we need multiple methods because one method of prevention doesn't necessarily work with, you know, an in, in individual. We we absolutely need that. But you know, with children especially, there are several barriers to ac- access sexual health services. They need to get parental approval mm. to get sexual health services, which is a massive policy issue that, you know, we've been trying to deal with for years. But people because get, it's
2: illegal for you to yeah. intervene with a minor, right? Presuming anyone under eighteen. Um,
3: Yeah, and a child cannot go uh, to a doctor uh, without uh, and ask for, say, a chlamydia test or HIV test, um, without parental or or, or guardian approval, and that's um, that's impeding the response.
2: Are you shocked by the data that you know there's a 10% jump in the American um, youngster minor from the age of 13 to 24, and then you know this is the largest age group that actually has an increase rather than a decrease.
3: Not at all. I'm not shocked at all. And, um, you know, this corresponds to our our data as well in Malaysia, because we have increasing numbers of young people that are sexually active. And, um, you know, it's it's they're at extremely high risk because they can't access services. No one wants to go to their mom and dad, who might be very conservative and go, uh, I need a sexual health test. Can you bring Mm. me? Is there any
2: solution to this?
3: Removing parental barriers is actually a key recommendation of the WHO policy briefs on key affected populations. So um, young key affected populations, that is. It was launched at the Melbourne AIDS Conference, and I was one of the speakers that launched it. And to be honest, I haven't seen much movement on the removal of par- parental uh, parental barriers. And because that need to- needs policy
2: change in terms of legality of it, right?
3: Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: And that would be a huge thing. I mean, if that were, if you allow people to kind of take their health into their hands that way, um, we have a contribution via tweet. Um, Eric Cole says, "HIV vaccine would not prevent other STDs. Uh, super gonorrhea is on the rise. I think that would put a damper on rampant promiscuity. So there is mm. that. Um, I did want to ask, though. I mean, while we while we're seeing these increasing rates in younger people. Um, While we're also seeing, um, you know, an increased, well, I don't think it's increased uh, sexuality or sexual activity. I think people are just talking about it more. Um, I'm curious, do you think people are still frightened of HIV? And if people would like to call and weigh in on this, are you still scared of AIDS? I mean, if you grew up in a certain generation, it was, you know, a a disease. It was a death sentence. Yeah. And it wiped out, it wiped out a generation in many ways. Um, But we're growing up now where it's You can live with it in many, you know. You don't know that, but most often you can live with it. So, are people still afraid of HIV? I'd like to hear from people. Um, Give us a call zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can also text zero one six two zero one nine thousand or tweet us at BFM Radio. But FIFA, do you think people are kind of getting a bit complacent? I guess about AIDS.
3: I think that um, I like to think this the stigma has reduced. Um, but, you know, I deal with human rights complaints uh, every week. And, and we, we actually, last year, 2015 was the year where uh, companies from the hospitality and tourism industry decided to be the most discriminatory out of all our cases. <laughs> so it's amazing because it's actually, um, you know, hospitality and tourism and then all this happens. So, um, you know, people still don't know that you can be in a room with a HIV positive person, and not get infected, you can hug the person and not get infected. You and can, can share kiss food. a person. You can kiss getting, a person yeah. and not get infected. So people don't know that, and you know, people don't know that people living with HIV live long, healthy lives, just the same, uh, the same uh, um, age uh, lifespan as as a normal person without living without HIV. So there's still, you know, I personally don't know how else we're going to tackle the stigma. Uh, I mean,
2: when you get a uh, human rights complaint, what, yeah. what do you do with that? I mean, how do you handle it?
3: We start by uh, initiating an investigation process, and we often go directly to the perpetrator and go like, OK, we're, we're concerned about your discriminatory conduct, mm-hmm. um, and um, have this whole uh, um, exercise with them uh, to try and eliminate that. Um, and it's, it's worked a lot of times um, so far, but it's, it's, it's hard work. Yeah.
1: Mm. To close off for the day, uh, because we're running out of time, World AIDS Vaccine Day, the fact that it even exists, you know, tells you something about the level of awareness, the fact that Dr. George, you know, was like, why? Why does it need to exist? (laughs) Um, You know, it it says something. And I'm just curious from both of you. So now that we've discussed it, now that we've kind of had, um, we've heard from listeners, where do you... Where do you place um, the importance of the vaccine, Dr. George? Yeah,
2: right, okay. I mean, d- d- to start off in the program, I-, I felt that, look, you know, all the resources are spent on this, it's been three decades down the line. We, um, we congratulate a lot of people for their tireless effort. And then, however, it seems we're not going somewhere. Perhaps we go on a different direction. However, after the last caller, I felt that, we have to do this for the children, and because you know protecting the next generation, we have to actually try and try and try because um, it is it is a quest, although no matter how difficult it is, it, I think eventually we should um, the science should prevail so yes i I have a lot of reservation because I think a lot of callers highlighted uh, some concerns about ethics side of things, however the overall it should do good, and I really think that rather than three percent and a lot of all these uh, potential conspiracy about drug company and things like that i think um with the a lot of foundations and then also charity we should really hopefully see something in the next decade
1: fifa um you know finish off on a note of professional optimism for us.
3: professional optimism i'll give it a go um so uh the thing is i think that we need multiple modes of prevention. I think we're a long way to go. I think the pharmaceutical industry has not um, put in enough into this. And I think that's a failure of the profit-driven um, pharmaceutical R&D system. And that's, you know, that's an opportunity for us, these policy advocates, to start you know, saying, okay, there's something wrong with how R&D is done. We need to change the norms. And we need to be pragmatic. I think a lot of, a lot of comments are made from a place of emotion. And instead of a place of pragmatism and evidence, and that's where we need to come from and that's where we need to um, uh, mobilise resources. Um, so um, PrEP, yeah, definitely. Um, vaccine, yes, definitely. And we need to find a balance between the resources um, because in the end, it's going to be cost effective.
2: And good luck in Geneva and do keep us updated about what's new.
3: Absolutely, we will do.
1: Thank you both very much for coming in today. Um, I've been speaking together with Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist and our doctor in the house uh, with Fifa Rahman, policy consultant from the Malaysian AIDS Council. And together we've been discussing the AIDS vaccine, um, the hope for it, the ethical issues surrounding it um, and where we go from here in conjunction with World AIDS Vaccine Day, which fell on May 18th. You've been listening to Health and Living on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
3: Thank you
0: for listening to this podcast.